0: Man, being social is so different <laughs> this semester. That's Rachel Davenport, a senior lecturer at Texas State University. A highlight of her social calendar these days is a Zoom call with a few colleagues every Friday night. They call it quarantini hour, and they all log in with a beverage in hand. But rather than talking about themselves, these professors often find themselves talking about their students and how well they're following the university's social distancing rules.
1: I did have a student say um,
0: that she thinks we will be going fully online based on behavior at her apartment complex. Yeah. Oh, great. Like there's, you know, there's big parties going on.
2: I've seen photos of them, you
3: know, surfacing, so.
0: In normal times, a signature feature of college life is parties. Gatherings like those immortalized in so many Hollywood films, where students let loose meet others, and find out who they are. But this fall, as colleges around the country try to stay open during the COVID-19 pandemic, those very parties are the biggest threat to keeping education going. So suddenly, the future of higher ed depends on stopping students from doing this signature thing and other social activities. So what kind of college life is left for students at a time of social isolation? And how are professors coping? Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter here at EdSurge. This week, we continue our semester-long series taking you inside college life during the pandemic. We're hearing intimate reports and reflections from professors and students on six campuses, following their ups and downs as they try to keep education on track during a global health crisis. You can binge the first two episodes on our podcast feed if you haven't heard those already. So parties are indeed happening on plenty of college campuses. And clusters of COVID-19 outbreaks have already forced some universities to send students home and put all their classes back online. An analysis by the New York Times, it counted more than 88,000 cases and 60 deaths on campuses nationwide. That was as of September 14th, just a few days ago. But even though some campuses have become hotspots, others are managing to keep the virus in check and remain open. In fact, the majority of campuses that reopened are still open. Well, at least for now. But getting the balance right between safety and openness is a continuous challenge. As I track the higher ed landscape to make this podcast, I kind of feel like I'm watching players build a tower of Jenga blocks. And each week that goes by kind of feels like a new block being added and threatening to topple the whole structure. It turns out that traditional age college students may be wired to be particularly bad at following social distancing guidelines deb nichols a purdue professor that we've been hearing diaries from she actually studies human development and what she knows from her scholarship brings her plenty of worry about keeping students safe and campuses open
2: developmentally speaking adolescents um, and young adults through about age 25 their prefrontal cortex is not fully formed so your prefrontal cortex is responsible for um, impulse control and decision-making, higher-order thinking. So because, it, because you're not fully developed in that sphere, you are much more likely to engage in risky behaviors um, and sort of do impulsive kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Whenever I do parent talks, I always say, developmentally, toddlers, this is what they do. They say no a lot because they can, and they want to push boundaries and figure out what the limits are. Adolescents are kind of like grown-up toddlers, and so they push boundaries and, and try on different identities and do dumb things and make mistakes, and that's what they're supposed to do. It's just now you have this pandemic that can mean the consequences are are much more severe.
0: So the success of higher education this semester, it rests on grown-up toddlers, which has made plenty of observers criticize the decision of campuses to have opened at all, worrying that the whole project was doomed to fail. But despite research about brain development, not all students are out there partying. Some of the professors at that quarantine hour at Texas State, they've heard stories of big parties, but they've also seen very different behavior from their students.
4: So the, the students who are coming to my face-to-face class seem to
0: be quite cautious. Like in this one, when they were talking about the parties, she's like, you know, I may, I may miss parties, but it's not worth it. Yeah. Like, I like to go home and see
4: my parents. I don't want to carry something home to them.
0: Purdue professor Sabina Brunswicker has noticed a mix of attitudes in her in-person classes, which is clear when she tries to enforce the rule of wearing a mask. She says she basically sees two kinds of students. Some thank her for enforcing the rules, and they might even be more cautious than some professors she knows.
1: At the same time, I also had others that seemed to be a little bit annoyed um, because there are two, actually, or three that, you know, kind of took their face mask off and they said, you have to put your face mask back on. And um, they're kind of, I guess, you know, didn't, you know, re- react a little bit annoyed and, and then um, they were also ve- walking very closely. They didn't really, you know, um, consider distance as being so important. Um, and yeah, so kind of two different, I would say, um, observations or two different kinds of students that are observed.
0: Trying to educate college students is already a challenging job. But add to that this relentless uncertainty about whether they are keeping themselves and each other safe. It's stressful. The Purdue Faculty Senate organized a survey of professors right as classes started. Deb Nichols, who we heard from earlier, she actually chairs the University Senate this year.
2: The faculty and the grad students are a mess, essentially. Their well-being, um, they report that they're, they can't get everything they want to accomplish in a day done. They are having trouble um, shutting off from work. Um, they aren't feeling as equipped to handle uh, personal and, and work-life demands um, and then I think just 39% of the entire sample doesn't feel like they're interacting enough socially. What I also find really interesting is for those of us who are teaching face-to-face, um, when I leave, I am wiped out completely, and I'm, I, I have never had that happen. I'm a high-energy person, and usually teaching energizes me, and I have to go take a nap. I mean, I am just and I don't nap ever, but I like I mentally and I don't know if it's from speaking in the mask or anxiety or all of it together and trying to, you know, I park as close as I can to the building and then leave as quickly as possible. So I have because the area where my classroom is, is a pretty heavily traveled area by students. And so I try to stay away from them.
0: So that's life for professors, specifically at Purdue. But what about students on the campus?
5: I'm just walking up the stairs right now. Um, We're limited to two people in elevators, so I found that stairs are less people take them, a little more safe. Um, Another thing I noticed is that as I'm walking past these rooms, there's a lot of people that just put their Snapchat handles and Instagram handles to try to make friends. So it's definitely something that's new. I haven't seen that before.
0: That's Joseph Ching. He's a junior. He's the one in the jazz band, if you listened to our last episode. I wasn't quite sure what he meant, so I asked him to send me a picture of it. And it's kind of like what I remember from college, in that students have a piece of construction paper outside their door with their name on it. But the twist here is that students have also attached a piece of paper with their social networking IDs, mainly from Instagram or Snapchat. It basically signals that if you want to meet them, it's not going to happen in a hallway conversation. It's probably going to be online. He lives in a kind of theme dorm of sorts. It's a learning community called the Data Mine, and it's for people who are interested in data science. He lived there last year, too, and he says he misses the way it used to be. The whole point is that students there all share this common interest. But because of COVID, that's no longer the case. And two professors involved with data science... They used to have offices in the dorm, and Joseph would stop in and chat with them sometimes. That kind of informal interaction with professors is gone this semester. His main social life now is getting meals with friends at lunch or dinner. He usually uses one of the 30 or so pavilion tents that have been set up around campus. They're all equipped with these plexiglass barriers that are around nearly every seat. It's a weird-looking setup.
5: I mean, I joked that it looked a bit like, you know, the prison where you you have a you speak with your relatives, and it's definitely difficult to hear the other side speak so sometimes when I talk to my friends and they're a little more soft spoken, I'll have to ask them to repeat multiple times to hear them and we were thinking about maybe just we would call each other <laughs> but but it, it it was a joke but
0: The question of how to connect with other students despite social distancing protocols is something that Joseph's actually thought a lot about. Over the summer, he was part of a team project that was run through Purdue's School of Management to provide consulting for the Protect Purdue Implementation Team. And along with other students, he was asked to come up with ideas to improve student wellness and residential community during the pandemic.
5: One of our suggestions was a friend-matching app that you could upload a profile and the app would match you with people of similar interests uh, with an algorithm and uh, you could kind of make potential connections there. And earlier in the semester, I got an email where I saw a student developer creating something very similar to our concept. You could create a profile, you can find other people of similar interests, form groups. And so I thought it was very nice to see other people that were thinking of similar ideas and fully realizing them.
0: So yeah, the university didn't follow through on that friend-finding app when it came up at a brainstorming session. But as Joseph discovered, some student entrepreneurs, they were already working on something similar. And they are bringing their idea to life. I called up one of those student entrepreneurs, Cole Willis. He's a junior at Purdue, majoring in marketing.
6: Once we started to come up with the idea, it was right around where school got canceled when we were at home. So we're like, oh, we got a lot of free time to really focus on this, you know? They call their app WIDE.
0: It's spelled W-Y-D. And basically, you sign up with a small group of friends, and your group can swipe through other groups of friends and see if you want to start a joint text chain between the two groups.
6: And we noticed that when people in general, not just college students, hang out, are going to bars, parties, and this is you know, pre-COVID, going to bars, parties, you know, kickbacks and stuff like that, and, and congregating, it's in group settings, in friend group settings. Um, most of the time you're not going to go, I mean, you can, but most of the time you're not going to go to a bar or, you know, a restaurant or, or to a party or kickback by yourself. You're going to go with a group of friends because it's, it's more comfortable that way. It's more socially comfortable. You're not going to feel uh, as awkward. So we're like, oh, hmm, that's kind of weird. So why don't we try to develop something that allows people to do that, to do that online? Actually, the students thought of
0: this app even before COVID. But Cole admits it's probably more needed now.
6: It's 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 really hard. It's really hard to meet people on uh, on campus now, and and a lot of people just don't want to, um, kind of be in that social setting because people want to be safe. Um, and and you know, I with friends, you know, you, you get more comfortable with people, and then eventually, you know, you hang out with those people, and especially during this. Um, but people at that initial step of meeting each other, it's very, it's a very very low thing going on right now, and then not a lot of people are doing it, so. Um, I honestly, I think it is an advantage to the launch, but then also doing, you know, a service to the to the kids.
0: To be clear, Cole is himself one of these kids that he's talking about. He and his friends are living on a different kind of college narrative captured in movies like The Social Network. The idea is that you can go to college, meet your future business partners and build some world changing company, become Mark Zuckerberg. But the interesting thing is that Cole already knew the folks that he's working with. They were friends before the pandemic. Could he have met them in this isolated environment of the COVID campus? So much is clearly lost in terms of social interaction this fall. And let's face it, this is no small thing. I think a mistake a lot of people make when they think about college is to focus too much on classes and academics. Is that even the most important thing students get in a traditional four-year college? David Peña-Guzman a professor at San Francisco State University who is now working remotely from Paris, has been thinking a lot about this.
7: The things that I remember most about my first year experience in college really had nothing to do with academics. There was one course and one philosophy uh, professor that made an impact on me. There was a women's studies professor that also made an impact on me my first semester in, in college. But really, the things that I remember... We're meeting people from very different walks of life, having that almost cliche experience of being exposed to to people whose backgrounds you know nothing about and who change your perspective on the world. I, I realize that that I feel a little bit sad for for students who are beginning their college right now. Because it doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how excellent our online teaching is. It won't replace that sort of life-changing experience that is going off to college.
0: One of the students who is keenly experiencing this loss of social experience at college is Marjorie Blenn, a first-generation student who just transferred to San Francisco State from City College, a local community college in town. This was going to be her first year on a four-year campus.
3: Every day, the more we go into the semester, the more I miss school, the buildings, the hallways, the garden. And this is my first year there. I don't get to see, experience any of that. You know, the cafeteria, the peer groups, the events, the, you know, all these things. And my friend Helen, she... Already at San Francisco State, we have so many plans of, like, once I transferred to, like, hang out together and have, like, this great college experience. And it's just been a really depressing thing to think about.
0: One of the things you have to remember about Marjorie is just how hard she worked to get this college experience and just how much it falls short of the experience that she was imagining.
3: It took me 10 years to go back to school. It took me two years to transfer to go to community college. And, like, now I feel like you you did all of this and you know you went to school yeah school's great to get a a job and a you know a career and whatever but it's no secret that you don't have to have a college degree in order to make a lot of money depending on what field you're on you know but school is more than that it's an experience it's a it's it's a like an accomplishment a goal a, a change of mindset you know and I feel really robbed from that experience.
0: She feels robbed.
3: I think about that every day, like being in class and just, you know, I could have sat next to someone, met someone, that person couldn't become my friend for life. And now I won't get that. And the first year I'm paying this insane amount of tuition, but I don't get, it's just not the same, no matter how virtually the institution tries to make you feel like a college student university student it just it is not there's nothing the social component is so important and so important in order to have that college experience that nothing can replace it i and i have nothing against online learning like i've done online learning before the pandemic you know but I took hybrid classes, but I still need that. we still need that social component of being in the institution physically with the teachers and the students and the groups and the events and everything that makes college worth going and paying for.
0: Another one of our diarists also just transferred from a community college. And she's trying to stay positive about a pandemic college life she would never have chosen. It's Adrienne Davis, who recently finished her associate's degree in e-production and digital media from Milwaukee Area Technical College. Right now, she's a part-time student while also working as a paraprofessional at a high school and picking up some freelance gigs as well. Actually, the flexibility of an online class schedule has let her do more paid work these days than she could before.
1: I wanna go back to school because it's easier for me to do schoolwork at school, but I am taking advantage of the fact that we don't have school. I can work, I can do more projects. I can afford to live on my own, so I'm thinking of all the positives versus the negatives, and it's been it's been a challenge. It's been an interesting challenge.
0: Even so, she definitely feels a sense of loss with the online-only format.
1: It's bittersweet for me because I lost like a good. A good chunk of my college experience, they've been trying their best to communicate online with us and all the organizations. And I think that's so sweet, but it's just not the same. It's not the same for me.
4: (laughs) I think they know it, too, but they're trying, but they're trying like their
0: best. We asked some of our diarists about what a college movie about their lives would look like. And Elena Niachong said she could only imagine a movie about her previous life as a college student before the pandemic, when she had a job as an RA in her dorm. And to me, I think
4: that was one of the most uh, fulfilling jobs I have ever gotten because um, I I was able to help students succeed in college and actually one of them reached out to me when the semester started and she told me how big of an impact I was was on her during her first year at school. So for me, college has really been become that uh helping other students succeed, succeed and share my knowledge with them not so much keeping it to myself and that to me meant the world like i really caused an impact on somebody's life so if my um if my classroom was a movie it would probably be about um a girl that has grown um to being like shy and very to i'm very um uh, to herself um, that has evolved and become very uh, helpful and be that um, resource for new incoming students and help them navigate college because I have I already went
0: through that. But this semester, all of her classes ended up online due to COVID, even though the campus itself is open. That's one thing we've learned doing this podcast, is that even at campuses that are back, many students have professors that have opted to teach online. So, actually, they don't have in-person teaching. So Elena is back at home with her family in southern Texas, and a highlight of her social life is walking her shih tzu puppy named Cooper.
4: Right now, I'm outside walking my little dog, um, and I'm just going around my apartments. and I decided to do the bigotry right now because um, it's a time that I'm distressing <laughs> from school and everything. So, for me... Uh, like social events that I have attended are close to none, because I'm really trying to keep the social distance and all that stuff. So what I do to trips myself is usually take my dog to walks. I like walking a lot, and I love uh, taking him outside so I can breathe the, um, breathe some fresh air. Also, sometimes. Oh, well, m- mostly every night my boyfriend calls me and we do a little FaceTime before going to bed because since I'm in the Valley and he's in San Marcos, I haven't seen him in almost a m- Well, almost a month. It's been like
0: three weeks. So, yeah, it's been pretty hard since then. This is the case for so many students across the country at hundreds of colleges that have gone online only. One of those is Chapman University in Southern California, where Natalie Ricciardi is a junior pre-med major. She paints a picture of a student body that's too scared of COVID to even meet for a distanced get-together.
2: Well, there are some people who I really want to see, but because I am going into a hospital multiple times a week to do my internship and also traveling home to see my family, I'm not sure that they feel totally comfortable and... Although I'm sad, I do respect it. But, you know, it makes it hard to see people in person.
0: So students are feeling lonely. Isolated, cooped up, almost imprisoned in a lot of cases. But sometimes they get a chance to break out of that prison. Marjorie Blenn, that student from San Francisco State, got a chance to literally drive away from her situation for a vacation recently. And she found
3: her emotions around the experience complicated. Uh, This week marge you are more motivated to do the things that you are supposed to do like your schoolwork and your regular work and your kids i guess the difference was that i left the bay area and went up to portland oregon we went hiking to this beautiful waterfall everything's so green and beautiful it was actually a really good relaxing weekend but here's the thing though like part of me didn't want to put stuff on social media because people have been shaming you for going out you know they've been shaming you because you go out during COVID-19 like how dare you go out and you know just not stay home you're selfish and how could you in in the back of me maybe this might be me because no one actually said anything but I have seen people on social media talk to other people like that But I took precautions. I took hand sanitizer. I took, you know, our mask. I took extra mask. We washed our hands a lot. We stayed away from people. And I felt this guilt, right? This guilt that it was like, it, it, my weekend was full of emotion because I had this guilt like, oh, I'm out and people are going to shame me. People that know me because I'm out during COVID-19. I'm supposed to be home and how selfish I am. And, you know, you young people don't think about this other people. And it's like, honestly, that was the best trip. The best thing I could have done for my family because my mental state went back to zero. Like I recharged my battery. It was good to be somewhere different, somewhere fresh, You know, the environment. It was just like, it was perfect. Even though it was a really long drive, I loved it. It was like, it took me away from everything that's going on in the Bay Area. Because nobody talks about how hard it is with COVID-19. Not being in school, not seeing your friends, not going to your parents' house. Like, everybody just want to act like it's okay and it's not okay especially for a person of color like me like a woman of color me like it's not okay we have to deal with all this police brutality on the news we have to deal with covid-19 we have to deal with the socioeconomic of everything we have to deal with the election and on top of that, I have to make sure I thrive in my academics. I have to make sure my kids thrive in their school. I have to make sure I still make some money because we still need to support. I need to help support my family. I can't just, like, not do anything and stay at home. I don't have that privilege.
0: It seems that professors, too, have been struggling to find safe ways to unwind during the pandemic. For David Peña-Guzman, that San Francisco State professor teaching remotely from abroad, he finally got to resume one of his favorite hobbies, volleyball. Gyms were just recently allowed to reopen in Paris.
7: And yesterday, for the first time, I played volleyball for three continuous hours nonstop. And it was physically excruciating after not having done any physical activity for eight months. When we started. To chat and get to know each other, all of which happened in French, and my French is not that great, um, we were told the rules that the gymnasium would have to follow in order to remain open. And one of those rules is that there can be no physical contact between players, for obvious reasons. And so there was this funny moment, um, actually many fo- uh, many funny moments, over the course of the evening where in the middle of a match, all of us had the instinct when a point was won or when a point was lost, to sort of slap hands or not shake hands, but just sort of do a little bit of a of a hand slap to to indicate mutual support. What we realized is that normally we actually touch one another quite frequently more than any of us realized. But now, because of the COVID conditions, There was the administrator of the gym who was in the gym reminding us not to touch one another. And that means no touching hands, no touching shoulders, um, no touching of any kind. And so it was a funny experience because we were all very excited to play volleyball. But we also had this sort of regular interruption from the person in charge of the gymnasium constantly reminding us that we are not, in fact, allowed to touch one another. And we knew this intellectually. We agreed with the regulation. And yet, our bodily habits associated with this physical activity meant that we couldn't help ourselves. And we would just violate this basic rule quite repeatedly out of nothing but muscle memory and so it, it, we all felt a little bit like, like you know, those children in the psychological research uh, experiments from the 1980s and 1990s with the marshmallows, where you put a marshmallow and you tell them that they cannot have it and they cannot help but reach out for the marshmallow. In some ways, we were the adult version of the children, except we were reaching out for the marshmallow entirely unconsciously. And that just got me thinking about the extent to which this pandemic has forced us to rewrite in many ways our bodily scripts, our bodily habits, our bodily tendencies at a very fundamental level that, that we haven't even really began to process. Um, and for me, that, that became
0: clear while playing volleyball. On the plus side, though, professors are finding ways to act on that impulse to connect. So, for example, there
7: have been a lot more emails amongst me and my colleagues in which we just check, check up on one another. How are you doing? How is it going? How are you hanging at the end of the first day or the first week? Um, we send a lot more emails to each other sharing resources You know, this workshop that the university is doing, this one worked out really well because of X, Y, and Z, but this other one I didn't really like, so maybe it's not really worth your time. And so the morale among the professors, I would say, is one of camaraderie.
1: The interaction with colleagues, I so have to say that even though it's more digital, it's actually much more intense than in the past because we care much more for each other. That's Sabina Brunsiger,
0: who has found new ways to meet up with her fellow professors these days, like a regular socially distanced walk with a group of colleagues.
1: Um, The friends among my colleagues, you know, I think we, we are much closer now. And so even though, you know, there's not so much time to meet... Physically, there is much more interaction over the phone, um, social media.
0: So how is the Jenga Tower of in-person campus holding up at this point? Can these colleges that are open in person stay open? Or will outbreaks send everyone home? At Syracuse University, every student recently got a COVID test to try to answer that question of how the battle against the virus is going.
8: So this past week, like we were given times that we could go get our second round of COVID tests and our first round of COVID tests during move-in actually came back with not a single positive test, which is really great and very, very like promising for the potential to stay for the whole semester. And that it also alleviates a lot of my concern that we'll get sent home early. That's Josh Friesen, a freshman at Syracuse.
0: He took a break from a football-watching party in a big room on campus to send in this diary.
8: And right now it's halftime of the Syracuse University-UNC football game. And the school's doing a lot to, like, make sure that we can watch it together and stuff, have that, like, school spirit still, despite the pandemic. And they're doing a really good job. They're opening up a lot of rooms and making a lot of space for students in our building to go watch the game together. So a lot of us have been in there watching that and it's been it's been pretty good like you'd watch game with anyone else pretty much but it's it's like 50 people from our building so it's definitely not the same as like getting to go tailgate or anything like that but they're definitely looking after us letting us do social things stuff like that's really nice helps like keep up the morale at the school and stuff like that so hopefully we win the game we're having a pretty normal college experience thankfully like, all the stuff we're doing I don't think is going to get us sent home. I don't think any of that's going to happen if this second round of tests, which is three weeks after the first round. I'm very, like, I'm very optimistic, and, I like, it seems very promising that we're going to get a stay for the whole semester.
0: It's amazing to think that this is the goal, just to finish a single semester without having to send everyone home. At the same time, campuses around the country are already having to decide what to do about spring. Marjorie Blenn, our diarist who worked so hard to get into San Francisco State, just learned what her school has decided.
3: So San Francisco State just announced that we will be going virtual for the spring 2021. And honestly, I don't know how to feel about the entire situation. Part of me should take like a break. I want to take like a break you know, from school, just, you know, this semester has been really tough. I wish I could think of that, you know. And then keeping up with my kids' online learning, too, its it's been a nightmare. Trying to work from home also been a nightmare. The air quality been a nightmare. It's like, how do you find motivation to stay enrolled and pay these tuitions or whatever or apply for scholarship when you have no motivation at all like everything is just so different but you know I don't know I guess I have to do it because I am the first one in my family I'm a first generation college student to go to a four-year university and my parents are so proud of me for this huge accomplishment and I bought them a San Francisco state mom and dad t-shirt and they wore that proud and put it on social media and they said how proud they were of their daughter going back to school and transferring their first daughter and the oldest to do it you know and she's setting an example for the younger ones and I just wanted to cry because part of me is like I just don't want to be at school I have no motivation and you know being part of this nonprofit where we're supposed to mentor the fellows and you know develop the the leadership skills and stuff and I have a fellow or two that don't want to be in school and how do I motivate them when I can't even motivate myself you know to go to school like how do I tell the people and the, the kids in the nonprofits that and I call them kids because they're way younger than I am um, to stay in school through the hard time when I can't do that for myself. Like, I just want to know how is that even possible, you know, like is it wrong? Is it scary that kids are taking a break? Yes, it, it is scary, you know. Institutions need more enrollment, but I mean, what can we do? Like, we need a solution fast, you know. The economy depends on college students, you know, like careers and stuff and we have to find the balance of being able to deal with this pandemic and making sure our students succeed, no matter what kind of students they are, you know, because all students across the board are struggling.
0: This has been the Ed Surge podcast. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young, and you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Young. Editing this episode by Rob McGinley Myers. Thanks to the students and professors who are taking the time to send in these diaries and share their experiences. Rachel Davenport, Deb Nichols, Sabina Brunswicker, David Pena Guzman, Peter Sands, Luz Elena Anaya Chong, Joseph Ching, Marjorie Blen, Adrian Davis, Natalie Ricciardi, and Josh Friesen. You can read more about the diarists at our show page at EdSurge.com. This podcast series is supported by a reporting fellowship from the Education Writers Association. Many thanks to the folks at EWA for making this possible. Music by Ruvel and Rider. Thanks also to Sasha Aslanian. And thanks, as always, to Tony Wan, managing editor of EdSurge. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing, and in two weeks with another episode of this series. Thanks for listening, and be well.